Hello and welcome everyone to another EventRight live stream. My name is Andrew Krause. I co-founded EventRight with Stephen Key over 21 years ago. And we've been coaching inventory inventors to license their products ever since. When you license to a big company, you don't need to raise money, you don't need employees, and you don't need to have existing distribution because they give you all those three things. So that's what licensing is. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I want to wish everybody a happy Turkey Day in advance. For those of you that are not in the United States, that's Thanksgiving. That's coming up this Thursday. So, and it's going to be a holiday towards the end of the week here. Um, but uh, we are going to do this live stream today because we are open until Wednesday and then we're closed on Thursday and Friday. So, Sorry, I'm a little bit thirsty there. I was helping um, one of our former students out. And so, sorry, I'm a little bit late here, guys. Well, it was like one minute late. That's not bad. That's not late, right? Um, so let's start. Uh, if you guys could start typing your questions in, that would be great. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, should I license my products in my name or an LLC? Well, we get this question a lot. That one's from Ben. Um, that one's an easy one. You should always... Do well, okay. I'm actually going to remember the disclaimer up front at the very beginning, not towards the middle this time. So, anything I share with you guys today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney for legal advice. And what I'm sharing is not legal advice. So, just remind everybody of that. So, Ben said, Should I license my product in my name or an LLC? When we, um, when we get a student that has interest from a company, we always advise our student and pretty much insists that they do the contract under an LLC. Now, if you haven't done one until the very end stages of a negotiation, no big deal. Just tell the company, hey, I want to do the deal under this LLC and they'll be fine. I'm just going to raise my chair up a little bit. It's too low. Um, and they'll be fine with that. And I think sometimes inventors worry about these little details that aren't important. Do you really think a company is going to go, well, you've been doing business as such and such, and now you're doing that? No, no, they don't care. They just want your product, guys. So the reason why you want to do it under your LLC is it provides you additional protections. Now, people always say in other countries, like, what well, I don't, what is that in my country, in Australia or Austria or, or um, any other country? <laughs> There's other countries or Brazil or whoever. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, the doing it under an LLC is just one form of protecting yourself. So I, I, I'll give you the very short on this because it seems like we do this almost every live Q&A. Q but you're protected every which way till Tuesday when you do a licensing deal. So one is they don't even know you exist. So let's say somebody got hurt with your new ladder invention that you licensed a big company. Well, if they're going to go after the company, they're going to go after the company, not you, because they don't even know you exist. Could they look up a patent or something and find out you're involved? But you don't have deep pockets. They're going to sue the company, not you. Now, if they did sue the company, which, by the way, has never happened in 21 years with our students being in over 65 countries, could it? It could. Um, but hasn't happened yet that I've found out about. So um, they're, they're going to go after the company, not you. But if they did go after the company, that company has product liability insurance, usually a couple million dollars at the very least, because retailers don't won't carry products unless the companies have product liability insurance. Um, and guess what? Also, our negotiation coach is going to tell you, look, tell them you need to be covered under their product liability insurance. Now, here's what's funny. I would say at least 25% of the time, maybe even more, 30-40% of the time, they argue that. It's because the marketing person you're talking doesn't talking to doesn't know what they're talking about. So we always tell the inventor, look, it's not going to cost them a penny more to put you under their couple million dollar product liability insurance. And they're like, oh, no, we can't do that. No, no, well, we want this or that. And every then we're like, no, no, check, please check. And they check. And every time they're like, oh, you're right. It's not going to cost us anything. So. You know, just because you're talking to a market manager that really knows products, they don't know that, you know. And so we know what to stand, help our students stand strong on when it comes to negotiations. And that's one of the things you want to be covered under their product liability insurance and under your LLC. So I've had students with like knives and 
ladders and dangerous stuff. But companies that do those things, they're used to that and they're comfortable with it, you know, because they wouldn't be selling those things if they weren't comfortable. It's just another ladder, you know, or ladder accessory and they sell ladders. They're used to high liability products. Um, so, Ben, thank you for that. So uh, it's not something you have to do now, but it is something you want to do when you're in the advanced stages of a negotiation. And we always say we don't we tell our students do not do it under your own name, do it under an LLC. But you're just starting to reach out to companies now. It's just one more thing to do. You don't have to do that now. OK, um, that puts a lot of people at ease, too. Jeff says, I sent a sell sheet to a company in my target sector, and after further research, I discovered my product is probably not the best fit for them. Okay. Uh, should I continue following up with them until they eventually inevitably tell me no, or is or just drop it? I have several other potential licensees, so no worries there. Um, no, you already sent it to them, and if you looked at their product line because you didn't do enough research before and you're like this isn't i would be shocked if they're going to show interest on on this it just doesn't fit with their product line i would just not follow up that's fine if they follow up with you and say no well it's no i, I would i wouldn't worry about it and follow up it's not like marketing managers they get tons and tons of emails all the time it's not like they're, they're like oh wait a minute i didn't get back to jeff i'm so worried about that like they they just it's not on their radar so don't worry about it and if they get back to you and they're like not a right match, say no problem. And you know, the way you benefited from it is you made a relationship with them. They said it's not a right match. And now if you got another product for that company, you got their name, their email, their phone number, and you know who to submit to. So, um, and as long as it wasn't just an egregious thing, like you're trying to send a bike accessory to a company that makes uh, baby rattles, you know, then you're looking stupid. But if it's just like, eh, it's not really a right match, that's fine. You, you made you made a relationship. You know who to reach out to in the future. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, Concrete said, "Hello, Andrew. All the company are all the companies listed on Eventrite Connect list. That's a list that we give our students. Specifically open to licensing ideas. Of course, I have made my own list too. Great, because you knew I was going to say that. Because I always said, don't don't depend on some list somebody gives you, but." make your own list from scratch using the techniques that we that we teach. Um, so yeah, the InventRight Connect list is different than our Bridging the Gap um, companies. InventRight Connect is a couple thousand companies we reached out to and they said yes or no. It's just an on or off switch. Yes or no to receiving ideas. Now, they're not all 100% correct. Like maybe we reached out two years ago and the gatekeeper said, oh yes, we are. Okay, we put them on the list. Um, maybe, and maybe now you might reach out to them and they're like, no, we're not. Now, I've had some students like they're on the list, but they said no. And then we reach out and we reach out because we know how to do it when some students are new to it. And they're like, oh no, we're open. And we're like to look at the student going, why did you say they weren't? And how did you approach them? And then they show us and we're like, oh, well, you approached them the wrong way. You know, they're, they're usually the only time when I see that happening is like a brand, very, very new student, and they're still kind of learning. Um, but the EventRate Connect list is is a nice supplement. It should never be the major method, the only method you use to reach out to companies. One of the things that we do is we make people comfortable when we coach and guide them so that they're comfortable making their list and reaching out to companies. This assuredness that you need to know that they're open to ideas. You know, so that's just a messed up line of thinking. If they're in a major retailer where you want to be, you should reach out to them. You do not need to have a confirmation that you're they're going to be okay with accepting your idea. That's BS. You know, because usually with most companies these days, if you reach out to the right person, they'll say, yeah, send it on over. Okay. So this perception that you would limit yourself to companies that you already know said, yes, we're open, or only companies that have a portal on their website is, is amateur hours. So we're always empowering people to make their list of companies and reach out and be okay with some of those companies say, no, we don't accept outside ideas. That's part of the process of being a professional product developer and licensing your products. And so if 
our students just use some lists we gave them as a crutch and don't also reach out to those companies, we're doing them a huge disservice. Um, I, I've just seen like one or two students, like with our Bridging the Gap program, that takes it up a notch. So what we do there is we reach out to marketing, uh, marketing managers, CEOs, um, and different people in the company. You, almost all of them have either been vice presidents, presidents, or marketing managers for these companies. And they come on to an hour-long Zoom session and they talk about what a little bit about their company, show their product line, explain their product line. I just had a speaker come on on Wednesday and it was a product, this product line, I think the, the category, a lot of people weren't familiar with. And he fully educated people on it. It was really cool. Um, and he said, and also this is what I'm looking for. And I picked his brain. I said, well, would you want something like in this area or accessory for this or improving that? And he even came up with a very specific thing. He said, this is, I would love it if somebody could figure this out. It was a certain type of technology. I just don't have the time right now. You come to me with this. I'm very interested. So bridging the gap is our students seeing marketing managers and CEOs seeing their real people. That's huge. People are, our students are giving us feedback going, wow, they're a person just like me and letting them actually talk about, look, as a company or as in my position, here's the things I struggle with. So when you know the things they struggle with, you can better accommodate them too. So, and you realize, oh, it's not just about me and my invention, me, 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 me. I got to think about them. And what are they going through? What's important to them? What kind of submissions do they like to see? Can I send them the type of stuff they're looking for? Because on the Bridge and the Gap, they took a whole hour to tell us what they're looking for, which is amazing. Usually you need to build relationships with companies for um, companies, or it's not companies, people in the companies to share that kind of stuff with you. And even then, sometimes they don't want to know because they don't want their competitors to know. But because it's private just with their students, they share all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the InventRight Connect list, it's companies we called and they said they're open. Now you might get a few in there that I, I had a student, which is really cool. They kind of police it. And this one student sent me a, a submission agreement that they wanted the student to sign. I said, that's not, that's not acceptable. Um, that must be new. I said, and I sent it off to um, Courtney, who helps one of our coaches, helps us manage that. And she removed that company. So it's something that's kind of always in flux and always moving and being updated and adjusted. Um, Danny said, good evening, sir. What's the most you've heard someone make in a single year? Sir, a lot of sirs there. Being very formal, Danny. Um, I I don't even want to say because I, Stephen and myself and the whole team at EventRight, we're not about preaching to get rich quick. There are so many shysters out there preaching get rich quick, whether get rich quick on Google AdWords or real estate or this or that. And it's just a bunch of BS, you know, and, you know, and then also just citing some really exceptional, random exception and trying to make that saying that's the norm. That's not cool. Um, so, but one year, like, so to me, so instead I'm going to talk about, I think a, a healthy way of looking at royalties. Um, I could care less what it is in one year. It's not important. You need, when you're licensing, you need to be a long-term thinker. With licensing, it's not like we're teaching you to sell tchotchkes on eBay and you're going to earn uh, 500 bucks this week and 400 next week and 1,000 next. That's not how it works. It's an all or nothing thing. So when you license, most of these companies are really big. So what I like to joke about, which I don't mind saying this, this is honest. You can have, it's a joke too, but you can have delusions of grandeur when you're licensing and you're not delusional because for some of these big companies to sell, you know, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, 3 million units a year, it depends on the price point of the product. For, for them, it's normal and they have the money to do it. They have this massive workforce to do it and they have the distribution. They have all the connections at all the retailers to do that. So you can think big. There's nothing wrong with thinking big. And you can think like that big company as well you should, because it's like that big company can do that with that other product. And I want to sell them this product and I want them to do the same. That 
is fantastic and that's fine. And so you can think big, nothing wrong with that. And you should, and you should go, well, geez, I think that's too niche. They're only going to sell like a thousand units of that a year and it's a $20 price point. So I'm getting a royalty on 10 bucks. And I'm like, well, that's not going to add up to much. Like, and you won't work on that project. But when you see retailers selling products that are kind of in your space and you look at it and you and you're like, oh no, this is a mass market product. You know, this is and you know, not all products need to be. We have sometimes we have students that are just really passionate about the product and they're okay that their first product didn't make crazy numbers in royalties, you know. And I guarantee you different inventors are going to have can have dramatically different royalty rates. So to me, to answer your question, Denny, is I would never ask the question, what's the most somebody's earned in a single year? I would say over the time the product's been out, has it been out for two years, three years, five years, 10 years? How much did you earn over that period of time? Because you're just moving on and licensing the next product. They're investing their money, their workforce, and, and their distribution to continue to work on that. And you're going to show them new iterations. But yes, have, have we had students that have made, um, can you make millions in a year? Um, yes, you can with licensing. Is that typical? No. But let's say the product's earning you 200000 a year in royalties and it sells for five years. Um, that's a million dollars. And you haven't run a business. You haven't risked your money. It's all on them. So that's pretty freaking cool. But this this thought that you're going to become a millionaire overnight with one product is just so much BS. It's it's just and I don't want you as a student if if that's your only goal. Now, if you're like, well, I got this particular product and that's the market, and I figure out what my royalty would be, and I could be earning that, that's perfectly fine. Okay, and. Some of our students are more driven by money, but most of our students are driven by their passion for their product, and they also want to make money. It's like, it's not an afternoon, but it's kind of secondary. They're not even conscious of it, but they want to express themselves creatively. And it's a total cliche, but you do what you love and the money will come. And if you guys are really into your products and you really believe in them, the money will come, providing you don't work on super niche stuff. It's only going to sell 500 units a year or something like that. You could do what you love all day long. And if the product's so niche and you don't license to big enough companies to, to really get it out there, you, the money will not come. But if you, if you pick the right projects, which is a lot of projects are going to earn you a decent amount of money, but it's, it's also okay to go, you know, I am driven by money. And I don't want to work on a project that can't be earning me at least 50,000, 100,000 in royalties a year. And don't work on those projects. A lot of people don't know how to analyze that. But don't work on those projects. Nothing wrong with that. I don't feel like that is a get rich quick attitude at all. But I get a vibe and I have over the last 20 years from certain people that they don't want to do any work. They're usually the ones saying, can you do it for me, Andrew? And I'm like, well, geez, there's like a litany of invention scam companies ready to take your 10 or 20, you know, 10 or 12 K usually pretend to work on it because you thought you had a million dollar idea and you don't want to do any work. There's a ton of those companies out there. That's not us. We're going to help you do the work and empower you so you can license products the rest of your life. So Denny, can you make a lot of money? I, I don't want to, um, I can't think of we don't do the whole like, let's hold up your giant check. I earn this money with InventRight. That's just so much BS, you know. Um, and I don't want to pull products off the shelf that I know that have made. I, I, I thought of one and I was tempted to pull it down and talk about it. I don't want to do that because that's cheesy. That's the holding up the check stuff. But you could definitely make a lot of money with licensing. But it is not overnight. That's another thing. Um everything is instant gratification. You know, I mean, most of social, so I'm going to give you my bias if you put, most of social media is just garbage. It's just absolute garbage in, garbage out. Get rich quick this, get rich quick that. Instagram just makes me want to throw up half the time. And there's so much get rich quickers on there, you know? And so, so be level-headed. Earn money over time. Like when you license, if you did it, if most of you did a deal today, like you signed the contract today, not got interest, and you're not going to be getting significant money for at least a year. 
if you're not okay with that, just leave this Q&A right now. Um, go do something else because you're in the wrong mindset. Now then people go, well, I could start my own business. I mean, make my, I'm like, dude, most people start their own business, sell their own product. They're like, they're in the red for the first two, three years if they don't go bankrupt, you know, and they're not paying themselves anything. So, um, you know, and, and, and Instagram and all these, uh, the, the internet, now there's just so much now and it's worse than ever. So you're not going to be hearing me preach, get rich quick. Can you make a lot of money with licensing? Yes, but it's not overnight and you still need to put the work in. Now it's one hundredth of the work of running your own business, but you still got to put the work in. You got to do your research. You got to make your list of companies. You got to make your sell sheet. You got to follow your PPA. You need to reach out to these companies and you get a ton of no's before you get a maybe. And then you move forward with the maybes and hopefully you turn one into a yes. But you can do all this with very, very little money, very, very little risk. Um, sometimes I get people like, they're like, I can't afford $75 for a provisional patent. I'm like, you need to get a freaking job. You need to get your you need to pay utility bills before you're trying to license stuff. You need to get that in order because if you're if you can't afford a $75 provisional patent application, you need to get into a comfort zone. You don't need to have a lot of money where you can spend a couple hundred bucks bucks on a project, a few bucks on a provisional patent, a few bucks on a sell sheet, virtual prototype, and get it out there. So, but that's nothing to spend 300 bucks on a product you know, to try to license it, to potentially have this huge income. But, um, but it, when you, when some people tell me like, I can't afford a, I'm like, you need to get your financial house in order. You shouldn't be trying to license because you need immediate money. Um, not money a year, year and a half, two years from now, which is what licensing is. I don't mind saying like that because that's who we are. We're very transparent about it. Um, okay. I rambled enough on that. Uh, so, Let's see. Let's go to Jennifer. But thank you, Denny. You, you prompted me to ramble on that. I think everybody appreciates that. And we'll move on to some other questions now. Um, Jennifer said, thanks to InventRight advice, I'm close to signing a licensing deal. That's great, Jennifer. Yeah. Where that? That's great. That's cool. No, she is not a plant. <laughs> um, but that's really cool. Um, Okay. Oh, okay. Denny had another question. Then we'll move on. I want to make sure to get to at least everybody's one question. But Denny said, how can you get a company to allow you to license it and sell on your own at the same time? So another good question, Denny. Um, does it make sense? So this is what I recommend. If you guys want to do that, which it can make sense, please, please do not say it on the first call after a company shows interest. You'll be shooting yourself in the foot. After a couple calls, emails and stuff, then maybe you can bring it up. Do not bring that up. It's What it says is, it's my baby. I'm not sure I want to let it go. Because you want it to be theirs now. You want them to invest their money and their time and, and promote this thing. So if they believe like you're you're going to freak out if, if, if they make it pink and you want to make it purple, not a good. If they feel like you don't really want to let it go, not good for negotiations. So... Sometimes I've seen students that have done deals and they want to sell on their own. And I can't remember one that ended up doing it. And I remember all the ones that I can remember. I can remember two or three people just off the top of my head right now. And they all are like, Andrew, yeah, I, I, I gave them advice on how to do it if they wanted to approach them. And they all decided they didn't want to do it. And they never ended up mentioning it to the company. Um, so think about it like if you're if they're selling it and then you're competing with them and then you're selling at a lower price or it makes it look like it's not as unique that makes no sense you need to give them exclusive now if you got a version of it that's like super cheap and it's going to be sold over here and it's not going to step on their toes and they're going to sell a different version over here maybe you got a different version and they're like oh yeah that's not going to bother us that's fine okay fine but it's part of it most of the time, Denny, is, is it's the inventor not wanting to let it go and you need to let it go. But if you're stepping on their toes, that makes no sense whatsoever. Just like when people say, I want to license to the five companies because they'll make more money. BS. You, you got to give that one company something unique to sell. If the other companies are going to sell right out from under them at the same shelf at Walmart, 
they have no unique selling point. But if it's a different variation, different geography, different distribution panel, as long as the licensees aren't stepping on each other's toes, it might be perfectly fine. And the same thing goes for you wanting to continue to sell the product on your own or to start to sell the product on your own. I remember some students where the company even said, oh, no, we'll sell it to you wholesale and you can sell it if you want. And I, I've never, there might've been some students that did that, but whenever I, I check back with a few of the ones that I knew that did it, I that are three that I remember, none of them ever ended up wanting to do it because it's a lot of freaking work. So uh, let's see. Next. Oh, uh, Jeremy said, I was talking about earlier, which I think Ben had the question, um, one LLC for all ideas, right? Yeah, it's, it depends on what you want to do. Um, yeah, most inventors are going to do one LLC, you license the product, you do the deal with them in the LLC, and then you have other um, products you license, you can do that too. I, I was the only chance, the time you wouldn't want to do that, so it was like a really crazy high liability product or something, you want to separate them. But I've never seen an inventor ever have to do that. There might be an isolated situation where that might make sense. So, And you don't keep money in there. You empty it out. So if somebody wanted to try to take out that LLC, which I've never seen in 21 years, um, you could just start another one, do another deals with other companies, and it wouldn't affect you. Um, uh, Steven says, who pays for the LLC? You. It's your business, Steven. Um, so, Stephen, it's your business. It's a, it's, it's, a, you know, in in um, Nevada where I live, it's like two hundred dollars a year you have to pay, and now in California it's like eight hundred dollars, and then in some states it's like, I don't know if Michigan was like fifty bucks a year. It depends on the state, but it's your business, Stephen. So you have to pay for that LLC, yeah, absolutely. But thank you. That's a good question. Other people might have been thinking the same thing. Um, Paul says. Uh, should a royalty rate be lower if the product is expensive to manufacture, i.e. the product that requires hand assembly versus product versus a product uh, pooped out of an injection mold? It sounds like something I would say. I always use that term. No, I think it has no relevance whatsoever as far as your royalty rate. I think that the profit margin can have a relevance with your royalty rate. So sometimes, so for example, um, you might, this is a, not a normal scenario, but let's say they want to put some famous um, Disney has cars, right? You know, that movie where they have the cars and, you know, it's like cartoon. And, and so they say, oh, we want to put cars in here, but we got to pay Disney a royalty for their cars, to put the cars logo on this product and we got to pay you. So therefore we want a lower royalty. That makes sense because you're going to sell more product because it's a Disney product now because they're going to license the name from Disney, put it on the product. So in that case, it might make sense to take a lower royalty. Most of the time they'll ask you to, but they're going to sell way more volume. So it's totally fair. But um, the fact that the product is more expensive to manufacture doesn't make a difference as opposed to being injection molded as opposed to hand assembly. It's what their profit margin is if they're just really, really, really tight. But sometimes they're just BSing you on that. It's not really that tight. So, um, but no, I don't see that as affecting your royalty rate, Paul. It's a good question, though. Uh, Jeremy said, why do I need to be on their product liability insurance? Just in case that a consumer got hurt with your product and wanted to sue you, they then you would be covered under the company's product liability insurance. I've never seen it happen in 21 years. Could it happen? Yes, that's why we protect our students. You guys aren't even students, you're fans, um, but, uh, and we tell them to always um, get on the company's product liability insurance. Okay. Um, Carlos says, I just filed a non-provisional with my attorney as I await the possible grant from the USPTO. What can I do in the process? License your, I love that you asked that question, Carlos, and you might be surprised is the answer. License your freaking product. You do not need to have an issued patent to license your product. God, no. That's ridiculous. Any, any attorney that would tell you like, oh, I would wait until the patent issues. BS. I like it better when it's not issued. They can't see what claims you have or not. It really doesn't matter, though. But never wait for a patent issue to license a product. I talked to inventors where that's the case. They're like, I waited three years. I'm like, my God, the product could have become irrelevant in that three years. That was a giant risk. Why did you do that? Do not wait to license the product, Carlos. Then some people, well, maybe they'll get more money. Probably not. You probably will not. 
you know, it probably won't make a difference if it's issued or if it's pending. Now, I talked to a student um, that was working on a medical product this morning, and those guys are brutal with the patents. Most industries are not. So it might make a difference with as a medical device or something, but most of you aren't working on medical devices. But no, just work on licensing the product, Carlos. Um, uh, Vizama, uh, kind of a cool name. I have identified a very large void within the global marketplace of golf. Okay, this is a first to market product while being an only to market opportunity. I don't know what you mean only to market opportunity. I know first to market. So mostly I need a patent. No, you don't, Visama. I've filed several non-provisional design slash provisionals. I have had several, I've I have several tech patents unrelated to this. Uh Tylus Taylor made nearly unresponsive. Okay, so here's a Visama. Why do you keep filing provisionals and design patents? Probably because you're not pushing forward enough. Now, you did say these two are unresponsive, so maybe not. Maybe you're actually reaching out. But what does a patent have to do with licensing a product? Why Why do you said, oh, most say I need a patent. Okay, you're not saying that. They're saying that. Um, any company that says you need a patent to license them is archaic. You know, and they probably wouldn't have licensed from you anyway. Um, to to expect this goes to what um, Carlos. These two questions taper in perfectly. Any company that says you need to have an issued patent are usually the companies that never license SHIT to begin with. Okay, um, that's just completely false. So uh, I wouldn't hesitate to approach. I don't know who you approached in those companies. Or if they just gave you that answer, did they actually see the product? Um, there were several tech pans, Tylus, nearly unresponsive. Unresponsive to you sending the product or to your product? You know, here's the deal. Even companies that would say, which is archaic, that you need a patent, a license to me, they will go around, they will overlook that if they like your product. So regardless, if they liked your product with some and you sent them a sell sheet, they would still show interest, you know, and that's a good problem to have. Oh, you know, we're really interested, but you don't have a patent. It's like, OK, well, let's talk about that. But that's not what happened. They're just nearly unresponsive. And also one thing that I'm seeing is, especially from inventors I talk to that are non-students, there's your sample size of experience is so minimal I talk to inventors all the time. Oh, well, I keep calling companies and they say this. I'm like, how many companies said that? Whatever it is, okay? And they're like, well, this company. I'm like, how many others? Oh, that's the only one? You're making a lot of assumptions. And oh my God, God forbid, would two companies say the same thing? Now it's law. It's like, oh, that's the way it is all the time. And it's like, and the inventor is like stating it like they've been licensing for 20 years. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's... Not at all the way it works. So people make way too many assumptions with licensing. And so so most say I need a patent. Now, I had one student that approached like, you're approaching some of the biggest ones. I mean, some of the medium-sized players or medium to large-sized players. I don't know what your product is. Um, you know, I, it's, if it's a tech, um, let's see. Oh, your tech patents are unrelated to that. Okay. So um, reach out to more companies. I remember I had one student that reached out to 110 golf com related companies. I didn't even know there were that many. That's over the top. That's a little ridiculous. But my guess is you're not reaching out to enough companies and you're making incorrect assumptions about needing a patent. You absolutely do not. And again, like I said at the beginning, um, you just need a patent pending status, you know, with a provisional patent application. But anything I share today is not legal advice. So that was not legal advice. Please consult an attorney for legal advice. Um, Jennifer said, thoughts on entering toy inventing contest or other inventing contests when licensing is not the prize? I don't know. I'd say I'm not big on contests. I would say, like, to me, my attitude would be like, you have a project, you reach out to 30 companies, nobody is interested. You're like, well, I'm not doing anything with this thing anymore. I'll put in this toy contest. 
I think you be very careful about what the terms of the contest are. If a licensing deal is not the prize, why are you freaking entering a toy contest? They're going to give you 50 bucks. They're going to give you a thousand dollars. Is that worth it? Probably not. Um, uh, what's the point? What, and also look at it from their perspective. If some company or organization is doing a toy contest or a contest, why are they doing it? You know, why, what's their motivation? And what are you going to win in the end? Some people get so caught up. They don't even, or they just think like, oh, well, then I can say I won this contest. They don't care. Nobody, potential licensee cares you won a contest. They're going to look at it, go, is this marketable or not? They don't trust the judgment of some judges there. They don't care about that. So um, now with that said, and, and also is that toy contest creating public disclosure issues for you? Is that all confidential and private? Are they showing it? God, no, don't do that. Um, you know, and to me, a great contest to enter is rehashing an old project. So let's say 30 companies said no on this particular project, but there were all these non-specific no's. Like eight months later, a year later, a year and a half, two years later, send it to all the same companies. They won't even remember seeing it before. Get students licensed all the time that way. That's the contest. That's a fun contest. You know, most inventors would never do that. So um, am I going to say never enter a toy contest? No. I'd have to look at the particular contest and see. Um, but if it's not getting a licensing deal, it's like, what's the point? Don't think that that's going to be a badge of honor that means anything, if you ask me. Because if they liked it, why didn't they license it? Or who is it with? I don't know. Um, but so that's my take. So you just, it's just insight into Andrew's head. You guys do with that as you will. But that's insight that most of you probably aren't normal, normally getting. So hopefully, even I don't have to provide a definitive answer, but I can provide you some thoughts. So you can put it together yourself. Um, uh okay okay it's kind of long visama uh let's see okay unlikely farmers oh it's sonia says you're a high under it's sonia i'm in canada and i want to send an idea to hasbro through their spark website but it's only open to americans is there a way around that you know since we had hasbro on i find that so odd I find that very, very odd. Um, so I don't know if you guys know this, but Hasbro basically has two portals. They have a portal, and that's why portals really aren't ideal, a portal for rookie inventors that can submit. I guarantee you they don't license nearly as much stuff there. And a portal for inventors that they got to know that have been submitting them products. They're usually reaching out to them LinkedIn or reaching out to them on the phone and reaching out to these marketing managers. And you get into a separate portal or just directly to that marketing manager. So um, I find that the Hasbro thing is to be very odd that they only accept ideas from, I, I don't find that to be normal. And I've had, I had somebody actually mention that to me. Oh, of these portals, you know, they only accept ideas from Americans. I'm like, I've never heard of that. Hasbro is the only one I've heard of that from. And they're like, oh yeah, it was Hasbro. I'm like, okay, but why did you assume that was the norm now? Again, going back to this thing about inventors experiencing one thing. And I understand you like put your neck out there and you feel a little exposed, and then something happens, it doesn't happen exactly the way you want it to, which almost always won't. And then you're like, oh, that's the rule, and you take it in. And so I've never seen any other portal that said they personally, that said they only accepted product submissions from Americans. It's the only one I've seen. So now I think what, I forget what the gentleman from Hasbro came on and said, I'm trying to remember his name, I don't remember his name, but um, he said, well, we do uh, conferences and things. Um, I think he said for European, they go to Europe, they do a toy conferences, they have opportunity there to submit. But he wasn't really specific. So I don't really know why they, they do that. But I would try to go around their portal and submit to some of their marketing managers and stuff and see if you can get in the back door. That's so much better than a portal anyway. Um, that's what we got our students to do. Um, so, and just to give you on my take on portals, if you guys, are only submitting to companies that have portals. And I know why you're doing it. You're like, well, but they said they're open to ideas. They said, right, I know they're open. So therefore they're less likely to reject me. And maybe that part's subconscious. That's amateur hour. Like you probably won't ever license anything. If you, uh, I'll say it again. 
If you only submit to companies that have web portals and nobody else, you will probably never license anything. Does that mean you shouldn't submit to a portal? No. Why not? I'd submit to the portal and I try to get to the marketing manager too. What the hell? You know, now if you submit to a couple people, you try to get in the route and they're like, no, 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 no. You got to go to the portal. And like three people tell you that, okay, that's the gate they've put up. But you can still try to see if, you know, you already tried. You try to see if you can get into that marketing manager directly. But um, so I would go around it, uh, Sonia, you know. Uh, and uh, Visama said, unlikely farmer, never surrender. I have Canadian patents and tech. PCTs will cover you with protection within the USA. All right. Yeah, you, you, and Visama, no, she, she doesn't need to go around filing PCTs on everything. You know, I mean, Visama, you don't need to file a PCT. If, if you spend 75 bucks on a provisional patent and then the next week or the next day, but you don't wait, you start reaching out to companies, it'll never take you more than a year to work on 95 to 98% of products out there if you know how to license to begin with. And then she will not need to file a PCT, which is very expensive, which is a patent cooperation treaty to extend it and temporarily preserve your rights and then file international patents. My God, no. So Vasama, actually, I think your, your advice is poor there. Now, maybe for your tech products, it makes perfect sense. Okay. But if you're if you're doing if you're doing a product and utilize the year that the patent office gives you to license your product, here's a long time, people. It doesn't take a year to license a product. And if nobody's interested, you haven't spent all the money on PCTs and full utility patents and all that stuff. Now, um, Visama, if you're in tech and a tech business and stuff, it made it made, made perfect sense for you to file full utility patents. So don't get me wrong there. Um, I just kind of play on some of the, some of, sometimes I'm answering the question, but I'm also answering my own question, which is playing on it, which I, the feedback I've gotten from you guys, you guys enjoy that. Um, sometimes I worry that I try to keep it to a higher level than I worry people jump on here. Like, but what the hell is Andrew talking about? But you guys aren't going to want to come back if I don't, do basic stuff and higher level stuff as well. Um, this is great. A lot of activity here. Uh, Kara said, I just had a video conference with a company that wants to license my product. They sent over an NDA. Should I just sign the one they sent? Yeah, most. so no, you shouldn't just sign the one they sent. You should not try to send your own because then, you know, they're gonna need to have their attorneys review it and stuff. And their attorneys already know what they're sent says. So review what there says, make sure you're okay with whatever's in it. Sometimes when people are new, like it'll say something like, we can't agree to keep confidential. It's like you filed your provisional patent. That's fine in my viewpoint. Um, but then other times it, rare, but you do see it, you know, if it says like, they'll pay you a maximum of $5,000 ever, like don't freaking sign that. If it says other things that are not, but most of the time, Kara, a vast majority of the time, 95% of the time, whatever they sent you is perfectly signed, fine to sign and send back and just sign it, send it back, send them your sell sheet, send them your marketing and you're perfectly fine. But you need to read through that. And if you're uncertain, have an attorney look at, but you know, to me, you could use common sense and read through it. More than likely what will happen is something that you think isn't friendly. I, I would look at and go perfectly fine. Now I've seen ones that I'm like, oh no, I wouldn't sign that. Uh, and I, I, I've even had some students like it says right there that that they will own whatever you send them. And why are, I, I say to the student, I don't harass students, but I'm like, why are you asking me? It says right there. They will. They're in such disbelief that a company would actually send that that they're like they want me to verify it, which I get, and I'm always happy to do that with our students. Um, but uh, but that's so rare, guys. It's really rare. But it does happen, so don't just sign anything they send you. Um, <laughs> Mar Margie was saying, uh, Paul said, uh, popped out, not pooped out. So I always say, I always say that, like with injection molds, because it's amazing how it's like the, it gets injected and then the mold opens up, product comes out, injected molds. In it. And I, I always say, like, an injection mold is like pooping out parts. And, <laughs> and um, uh, Margie's saying, no, Paul said popped out, not pooped out. But hey, I uh, that's me. I said pooped out. So um, 
let's see. Uh, uh, and Unlikely Farmer said, I think that was Sonia. Um, if your provisional patent runs out and you believe in the product, can you just refile it again um, with a different name? You don't even need to file a different name. You could file the exact same provisional again. And I save a lot of inventors. Sometimes I get inventors calling me up and they're like, Andrew, my attorney says I need to file a, a full utility. I was going to lose my priority date. And the attorney's right, but they're not telling them because they want them. They want to grab their ten, twelve thousand dollars. This is dishonest, if you ask me. And but it's the it's also the mind mindset that some attorneys are in. They're like, well, you won't get your priority date because you filed a provisional. And they're right. If you don't file a full utility and reference that provisional within a year, you're going to lose that priority date. And but they leave everything else out. But they're also not licensing anything because attorneys don't license anything. They don't know how to license patent attorneys. They have no idea what the frick they're talking about there. So they're like, well, it makes sense. You want to preserve that date. And we're like, no. Like if you haven't made a public disclosure, haven't sold it as swap meet, haven't um, put it online, haven't made a public disclosure. And for the most part, and I won't go into the details, privately showing it for license for most people's opinion, is not considered public disclosure. I think it's a worthwhile risk. So you could file that provisional again, take the exact same thing, spend another 75 bucks and get another year from the new date. So if you filed the new one today, you get a year from today on that protection. And only if between that last one and this one, somebody else came up with something similar. Now, you can't rule your life by getting struck by lightning. In 21 years, our students have been doing that. I have never, ever seen that be a problem. Now, if you think that assurance that it wouldn't be a problem is worth $12,000 for a patent, go ahead and spend it. But I think it's a freaking waste of money. So um, I just saved um, uh, Unlikely Farmer there um, a, a ton of money. You can do that. Now, here's the thing. To keep filing provisional patents, and then the time keeps running out. What's going on is you don't know how to license. You're not really reaching out. You're not doing the work. Now, I get it. And it's fine. If you get the warm and fuzzies that you spent 75 bucks and you can legally save patent pending, and that's great. But it does you no good if you don't reach out to companies. You're not utilizing the benefit they gave you. But you do not need to run out and spend $12,000 because you're worried about keeping that priority date from that older provisional. You can file another one. They're not connected in any way, shape, or form. You don't need to change the name. You don't need to change anything. Now, it's a great opportunity if you realize, oh, I can make this change or that change. Go ahead and add something to it. That's fine, but it's not required, okay? You don't need to change the name. You're not tricking the patent office. You're doing everything perfectly fine and legal, and you can legally say patent pending. You're not being sneaky. Okay, you're just not letting some attorney screw you, patent attorney screw you over by not giving you all the information. Now, they don't, they're all about, oh, we got to, as an attorney, okay, I'm going to defend them in some way here. They're like, we got to make sure you're protected at every turn, but it's not practical from a financial standpoint sometimes, you know? Um, so I'll say that in their defense. And they just want to make sure they never get the point finger pointed at them. And they want to get your money. Let's be honest. Okay. Um, now all patent attorneys aren't like that, but I've seen that happen way too often. I'm sure some patent attorneys hate me when I just educated the inventor to go, they're not giving you the whole picture. They're right in their statement because they're attorneys. So they make the statement, right? But it's, 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 they're not giving you the whole picture. Um, uh, let's see. Fishing the came the cosmos. Okay, that's an interesting handle. I've invented a device for the landscaping industry as a standalone product or an attachment to an existing equipment. Okay, it's a, as a standalone product. It's for landscaping, but it can be it can attach to an existing equipment or it can be a new product itself. Should I complete the provisional patent app before approaching companies? Yes, you should absolutely, and you can put both of those in the same provisional patent application. Sometimes I get people like, well, can I save myself the 75 bucks and then file a patent after I've got some interest? That's erring on the other side. With our students, we always say, always, always file a provisional. Do some of our students, when they get really comfortable with it and they're very prolific and working on tons of projects, do I see some of our students doing that in low-risk areas 
where it's a product that wouldn't make as much money. Occasionally, I see that. That's not what I'm advising you, and it's not what we advise our students. But it is something you could do. But it's like, part of me is like, don't be so cheap. Spend the 75 bucks. Come on. It's like, and that's why when people come to me and they go, well, I can't afford the $75. I go, get a job. Get your financial house in order. You don't need to be rich, but you need to be able to steadily pay your utility bills and your rent or your mortgage or whatever it is. And you need to have the financial bandwidth to spend 75 bucks on a provisional. It's worth it. And spending money on a sell sheet and a virtual prototype is worth it as well. Um, so it's a good question. Um, but I would advise you to file the provisional. Now, some of you might be going, well, I didn't want to do it, Andrew, because I thought I had to have an attorney do it. And that's there. I got quote for two grand. No, you can do it yourself. Definitely. Um, and with our program, we have a program called Smart IP. It's an online solution that's included with our coaching program. So it, that's included. Um, let's see. I'll move on to some people I haven't answered. Uh, Okay, my channel was the handle, my channel. I have an invention that I want to manufacture and sell online. Can I simply do a provisional patent and start selling it, or is there another way? By the way, I don't have the money for a non-provisional. Well, that's okay. I wasn't giving people a hard time by having money for a non-provisional. I was giving people a hard time. You shouldn't be working on licensing today if you can't afford 75 bucks for a provisional. Um, so my channel, this is what I'll say. So my channel wants to sell their product and they can't afford a utility patent. You shouldn't be doing that then. You should license. Because if you can't afford 10 or 12K for a, a, a utility patent, you should not be starting your own business trying to sell your product yourself. You don't have the financial cash flow to start a business and sell it yourself. You, you're, you don't have enough money. So you should license it. So it's their money, their workforce, and their distribution. You should definitely 100% not be trying to sell it yourself. You don't have enough money. You don't even have enough money to file a utility patent, which if you're venturing it and selling it yourself, you're gonna have, you're gonna want to eventually anyway. So instead file a provisional patent. And if you get interest from a company, get them to pay for the patent, get them to give you the money. And then you're gonna give your attorney and the patent's gonna be in your name. That could be part of closing the deal. So um, yeah, you do not have enough money to be starting a business. Um, so license it, you don't have to have it. Uh, Michael said, um, yeah, I can answer this earlier, Michael. Are you able to license to three or four different companies? Um, possibly, but most of the time, no. I do see students that are like, well, I've got different versions or it's different geographies. Or, But like I said earlier, if they're stepping on each other's toes, don't think you're going to be making more money. Ain't it going to happen. You're not even going to license the first company if you insist that, oh, I want a non-exclusive. I want to be able to license somebody else. I'm giving you this unique product that anybody else can sell. What's the point of that? So license to a big company has great big distribution and that's the best you can do. Now, if you want to break out, like they're not selling here, they're not selling there, they're not selling this version. Yeah, and they want all that. And you're like, no, you're not going to be selling that version. I want to be able to do it over here. It's not going to hurt your sales. And that you can do. And that, but it's not the same product. You're licensing a variation or a different product. Or it could be a different distribution channel that doesn't hurt them, but that's pretty rare. Um, let's see. Yes, um, uh, Lana, every single one, I think this is just a very small number. Stephen's giving me a hard time about, that's her other co-founder, but getting more products up here. I got to put more shelves up. Um, Every single one, let's see if I'm looking at all of them on my monitor. Every single one of these products is one of our students. Yeah, that's up there. Yeah, every single one. Um, and that's just the small portion of what our students have licensed. Um, but yeah, and and you can see, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do is um, on our site, we don't have all the products or students have licensed. But once one thing that's really cool is like, there's a link where you can actually click where you can buy it like today. Because sometimes people license something, we've been around forever, and it will sell for four or five years, but it's not on the market anymore, you know, or sell for two years or sell for 10 years. But so, but we have actually some products up there that are selling right now, which is really cool. 
Um, and that just proves that our students are licensing stuff all the time. Uh, let's see. <laughs> the pooped out or popped out um, question was funny. Oh, Paul said, um, as a humanitarian engineer, any tips on how to identify a product idea which will be successful in both the developed and developing worlds? Yeah, we have one of our students that did a product. Um, it was a little light and it had a, a solar cell on top of it. It had an LED light. And um, he specifically targeted third world countries and um, kids would use it to study at night. So they didn't have light at night or they were studying by candle and it really hurts your eyes. So you just kind of don't do it. So they would hang it out in the tree during the day and they'd come in at night into the hut and they could the kids could study at, at night. It had other purposes, of course. I hung mine on my RV. But um, with regards to inventing products that can kind of help uh, developing worlds, sometimes you'll have one version that can, you know, help, you know, first world countries and it could be sold in stores as this. And then another version that's over here, maybe it's slightly more effective, maybe it's slightly different. Um, so look it's this you know it's it's a little bit different but you can look for needs what does the third through third world country need what do they need and you know i forget there's a term for it but there is a term for identifying a product that can be sold in third world countries but you're still making a profit the company you license to is still making a profit so it's okay and actually i think it's a very positive thing to me i've always wanted to start a charity that was self-sufficient, you know, or that would help other charities be self-sufficient. So they're not constantly trying to raise money. We can't let these billionaires like run our lives and be dependent on them. That's like a quasi government. That's so much BS. It's great when charities can be self-supporting without donors or minimal amount of donors. So Another way of, of helping people in third worlds, because charities are for helping people in the U.S. and people abroad. But so that's just a bit of a tangent. But um, if you can help, um, if you can be profitable as an inventor, the company can be profitable and it can be sold at a very reasonable price in the third world and help that person. That is a beautiful thing because that's self-sustaining. The, the company will want to continue to sell it and make that profit margin, maybe in volume even though they're making very little per per unit. And then the person can buy something at a reasonable price that helps them in their life. I don't think that everything needs to be given. And, and I think there's nothing wrong with that in third world developing countries. But I think it's great when you can make a product and actually sell it. And I forget there's a term for that. I don't remember off the top of my head if you guys want to type it in, if you know what that is. But I think that's fantastic. So that's my thought. Um, who, who's Paul, uh, Paula, sorry, not Paul, Paula. Um, that's my thought, Paula, is if you can create products that are still profitable for the company, it can be sold in the third world. That's amazing. Otherwise, the licensing opportunity is a little weird. Yeah, you could, you could try to do a licensing deal with a company that made products for a charity that then sold it like a drinking straw to clean water or something like that. So there's something, but it makes it much more complicated. So there is opportunities there as well. It's just like, if you want to license to the military, you don't license to the army, you license to military contractors that sell to the army. Same kind of thing here. If you wanted to license to something that helped people impoverished or developing countries um, and you license to, the problem is there's an additional company there to companies, the charities that gave those products, but also the company that's making it, then you could do that as well. But also you could just license the companies that want to be profitable in third, in third world. And you could identify companies, it, all that. It, it's a little bit more money, muddy, and you need to be creative with that. Um, I would say it's definitely more work. I think it's worthwhile, uh, Paula. I think it's fantastic, but it's going to be a little bit more work, but it's, it's definitely doable. And I'm excited that you, Want to do and you could you could have might have might depends on the product have two versions one for first world one for developing countries um i was i never looked up the what is what is the why do they start saying first world and third world it's like a it's like a ranking like i i've never i want to look that up and what that that doesn't make sense to me i don't know why i was just having that thought but um i don't know what that means um 
I mean, I know what it means. I just don't know why they called it that. Let's see. Teresa said on the smart IP application, is the questions the same as the actual provisional application? There is no application. Uh, with the provisional patent application, they don't give you, the patent office doesn't give you any tips on how to write a provisional patent application um, on the form. It's just, you're putting your address, your name, your phone number, your email, your contact information, and then you're submitting the provisional patent application. So our software solution is showing you how to write the provisional patent because the patent office doesn't show you how to do that. They just give you the form to fill out, but you could scribble with a crayon on a piece of paper, they would accept it as long as you paid the fee. So that's what our software does when you become a coaching student of ours. Um, we give you that software. Um, and yes, I, I think I need to, my head itches for some reason. I think it's it's getting a little better. <laughs> don't don't send me recommendations on dandruff medication. No, it's not dandruff, it's just dry, okay? Um, I had my wife look. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's I, I think it's I think it's funny when we embarrass or self-deprecating humor, I guess you call it. I think it's important. We all gotta laugh at ourselves, guys. Um, okay, Joe said, thanks, Andrew. Good to see you again. Happy Thanksgiving. Um Oh, last question, which will finish it off. I always tell our students this time of year, and I'd say it to John who asked the question. Question, do you still try to contact companies close to the holidays or wait until January? No, absolutely do not wait. So this is, this is God, I talked to so many students this time of year about this, and some of them are just looking for excuses to take a little break. And I'm like, no, you don't get a break. You get nothing. You don't get a break. So this is what it comes down to, and this is, us have done doing this for 21 years, I can tell you. You're just as likely to license in November and December as any other time of year. But here's here's the difference. Some of the people, crickets, like maybe Joe went on vacation for two weeks, you know, or something like that. Some people aren't around. But it, what's how that is made up for. So that's a little bit of a downside. The upside that evens it out, if you ask me, is the fact that people are more talkative. They're kind of happy the holidays are here. They're kind of like, maybe they're not as stressed. Maybe they're kind of goofing off a little bit, just checking on their emails, but they're kind of putting their feet up on the desk, drinking a little eggnog or something. And so a percentage of people will be more responsive and more apt to talk. So for the few ones that aren't responsive and the ones that are more responsive, it evens out. So to me, it's a wash. It's an even out. You'll be just as likely to license something in November, December as the rest of your do not wait. It is not an excuse. And that's 21 years of experience with InventRight, with God knows how many students reaching out to companies. Um, we have typically four to 600 students at any point in time. That's a lot of, that's a fact, okay? So do not go all wait till January. Now, if you want to wait till January and you want to take a break, go for it. But don't think that that's, that's not an, ex the fact that people, you think people aren't going to respond is, is an excuse. Now, some people won't, no big deal. You know, they get back in after vacation and then they will. So, but the percentage of people a little bit more talkative to the percentage of people that have kind of checked out, it evens out if you ask me. Okay. Um, you're welcome, Teresa. All right. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, for, for the thanks here. I really appreciate that. If you guys could help me, since I spent a whole hour giving you guys some free advice, if you guys could do three things for me, um, click the subscribe button. If you're not subscribed, click the notifications button, that little bell. And then click the thumbs up on this um, stream and then watch a whole bunch of our videos. We've got like 700 videos that are completely free and thumbs up them all and interact. If you want to ask questions in the chat, I don't in the in the comments. I don't we're not always able to get to all of those, um, but that would do us a huge favor because we I would love to get to 80,000 subscribers within some reasonable period of time. And you guys can help me do that. So if you're already subscribed, don't click on it again. Then say, oh, it says unsubscribe. Don't do that. But if it says uns, if it doesn't, if it says subscribe, click on it. Okay. And and help me out. All right. Um, and send send uh, us to your friends. A lot of people say, Oh, I, I shared my friend that has some ideas of your show, you know. And what I love about our show is it scares off the people that aren't serious, but it attracts people like yourselves that really want to do the work. So um Whenever I get somebody that's really, really green, I go, well, watch our show for a little bit. Get to know us. Get to know licensing. And if they're of that get-rich-quick mindset like we talked about at the beginning of the hour, um, they won't reach out to me and go, I'm interested in coaching. Like They're like, 
wait a minute, this guy told me I need to do some sort of work. I don't like him or I'm not doing that. I'll just go with some invention scam company that's going to tell me I don't need to do anything. And we have the context. We'll do it all for you. Like, okay, I'm sorry. You're going to get scammed. Go ahead, go on over there, but don't call me if you don't want to do any work. So I love the show. I think it's a filter to filter out people that are serious. Um, and so if you, and that could be good for you too. If you have a friend or family member that's inventing or they say, oh, I come up with ideas, help send them to our show. And if they're serious, they'll be like, oh, I've been watching the show all the time. I really, wow, that was good, good stuff. Or if they're like, no, I didn't really look at it. Well, they're not freaking serious, you know? Um, they're, they're going to end up just throwing a bunch of money to patent attorney or going with some invention scam company, or just, you know, maybe they weren't that interested and that's fine. And it didn't cost them anything. That's great. I love that the show doesn't cost people anything so that they can figure out if they really want to get serious with licensing. And even if you don't sign up with our coaching, you, I think you got great advice tonight. I'm totally biased, but hopefully it was helpful. So I want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. Happy Turkey day, everybody. Bye.